Tonight what I'd like to do, uh, something that's quite often done, is tell your testimony. Tell how God saved you. Now when I was a kid, it was the only meeting that I really liked to be at. The only meeting I liked to listen to, because it was always full of good stories, right? You, you almost got an insight into this person who you only ever knew as so upstanding and so nice and so right. You thought, what were they like before this change took place? Well... I don't have too many interesting stories. I've never been in jail, and I've never been arrested, and uh, you know that's about as far as I'll go. But I'd like to tell you tonight, just briefly before Josh speaks, how God saved my soul. It's it's what some people refer to as my story. And uh, we were saying before, it's not important. We I listened to a, a man named Peter Orzok's testimony this week. And he has probably what is considered to be the greatest testimony told. People love to hear it. It's on CDs. We give it out. People want more. But really, if anything that my story does, or his story, is just to tell you about my Savior. Our Savior. That's all it should do. It's not a boast of who I was, or who I am, or what happened. All it is, is telling you about something that took place in my life that can happen to you this evening. It's to tell you about Christ, the Savior of sinners. One verse, Isaiah 53. This is the verse that I was saved through. Um, They call John 3.16 every man's text because there have been so many who have been saved through that. Well, I would probably term Isaiah 53 as every man's chapter because I think that there will be countless people in heaven saved through the verses contained in this chapter. We'll just read one of them. Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. This is the, the portion here of the verse that reached me that night. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Just remember that word, hath. The Lord hath laid on him. First time I told my testimony here was December 22nd, 2002. Almost ten years ago. First time I ever spoke. I was saved on November 22nd, 1998. That was four years prior to that. I was born August 20th, 1983. If you go back in my family tree, four generations on both sides, there are some kids here, uh, I think it's Drew and Simon. We have the same great-grandfather. His name, Guy Kember. Guy Kember, four generations on one side of my family. There's another man who has my same name, David Zudema, fourth generation on my father's side. Both men were saved. Besides maybe making it a slight possibility that I would be in a meeting like this, it didn't do anything for me. didn't make my soul any different from yours. I like to tell a story about that. I think it was Guy Kember. You know, men find errors in the Bible sometimes. Uh, there's men who leaf through Bibles and they, they find commas that are missing. And they find periods that are missing. Well, he went into his printer and he showed him Isaiah 64. And it says, all our righteousness are filthy rags. He goes, that's a misprint. And the printer sent him home and said, no, that's, that's not a misprint. That's God's truth. There was a day when he found out nothing that I could do. No good that I could offer. But that one good man had been offered for me. He found that out. On the other side of my family, a man named David Zudema, the first. I don't claim to be the fourth, but there are a second and a third somewhere around. 
You know, he was out farming in Iowa. Never really heard the Bible. Never heard too many gospel meetings. I don't think he heard any. And I have a picture at my house of the barn doors that he was going through. When? Some would say miraculously. I don't know. I, I, I never got the chance to ask him. A verse came to him. It's found in Hebrews 9. And it said, It is appointed unto men once to die. It wasn't until he found out about what mentioned after that, that Christ was once offered. That he too was saved. He was actually saved before this building even existed here in Midland Park. But those two men show you a little bit of the history. And from that, you come down generations, a great-grandfather to a grandfather who is known to some of you here, to my own father, to me. On the other side, a man... His name was Mr. Kember, Guy Kember. And from then, there's many of his relatives in the meeting tonight to come down to me. And what did that do for my soul? Absolutely nothing. Didn't mean anything. Salvation is something that's personal. It's something that's individual. I was born in Ridgewood, New Jersey, right down the road here. I have pictures of the first time I come to meeting here. I think it was probably in the year 1987. I, there's the tree photos, right? And there I am and... You got your little suit jacket on, and I had the bowl cut, and uh, they say the first meeting they brought me to, we had hard wooden seats then. I sat in the back and didn't move. You know, I was so well behaved, so unlike so many of you, right? Yeah. I was just an angel in disguise, in the back there, and oh, proud parents and everyone. I was the first grandchild born. And I grew up only knowing this. Every Sunday night we come to a meeting. I remember 10. If you go up in Waldwick, there's a Waldwick 7-Eleven there, across the road there. I remember going to tent meetings in a blue and white tent. We still have it for VBS. And I remember hearing gospel messages there. I remember a family. If you know my other side of the family, the McCandlesses, um, related to Murray, who comes here. Whenever we met with them, they were always speaking to us the gospel. I had a grandmother. And I swear to this day, if she were a man, she probably would have been the best preacher you ever heard. She would never miss an opportunity. We'd be in her kitchen cooking, and we'd get to the time to split the wishbone. And, and then she'd say, you know, you can make a wish, and we'd pull it. And my wish would be that the summer reading would be ended. You know, I wouldn't have to do it. And she'd look at you with such discouragement, she'd say, if only you really cared about your soul, you know. Every opportunity. We'd be in the airport when she'd take us to go home after the summer was over. And she would never fail to tell us that the most important thing in life was that your soul would be saved. Some of you have parents that pray for you. Some of you have grandparents that pray for you. That's all they want to see is that your soul is saved. That's the only thing they want from everything else. It gives us encouragement as some parents and grandparents are here and that's how I grew up. We would have meetings here in Midland Park, sometimes in November, like we still do. And every November that would come along, I would think, you know, I should be saved. I had a concern when I was seven or eight. Maybe there's some seven or eight year olds here in the meeting. Even as a young kid, I thought, I knew I was going to hell. And I knew I needed something that my parents had, that my relatives had, that my grandparents had. I needed something they had. I didn't have it. And we'd have meetings in September or in November. And I never wanted to get saved because we used to vacation in the wintertime with my mom's side of the family. And I knew that if I got saved then, my vacation was going to be a huge hassle, right? Because all they were going to do was just 
They would be asking me questions and how did it happen. And the worst thing in the world to me was not only to be to think that my Florida vacation would be interrupted by having to give my testimony. So it was never going to happen in November. And we were talking about it before Livingston, just like they are now. Always had meetings in the spring. So I'd always say, you know what? It'll happen then. It'll happen later. Never did. I grew up uh, being uh, really into Legos. Maybe some of you are still into Legos. They've changed a little bit over the years. Back then, you could build these tractor trailers with these helicopters on the back or these big gas stations. And, and I liked them because they made it simple. You, you opened it up and you had step one, two, three, four, five. You know, you kept on going through your steps and it was simple to me to understand. And I didn't really have to do too much. I just followed the steps. And when I was done, I had something that I was amazed I could put together. And I was convinced... That salvation was just like that. I could just never figure out I was missing some steps. I knew step one began with come in the meeting or the Bible. And I knew that the last step was believing. But no one would tell me the steps in between. No one. I would ask my parents. I would ask you know, friends and, and everyone. And I would say, you know, how do you be saved? And they always gave me the same ridiculous answer that I was supposed to believe. I said, if just someone could tell me those missing steps, I would get it. You ever think that way? You ever think, yeah, that's, I think the same way too. You know, they, they'll just never give me a straight answer. Just give me a straight answer. What do I have to do? And on top of that, I believed I was going to pick the night. I was going to pick the song. It wasn't going to be some song that Mr. Carmichael couldn't start. It was going to be a real gusto song. You know, we were, it was going to be a great song, great verse. It wasn't going to be like a local preacher. We'd have to have a visiting preacher. Had to be a big night, good attendance, maybe like tonight. That was the night I was going to get saved. You ever think like that? You think you'll pick the night? Let me, let me toss this out to you. If you know how to be saved, some of you think you do. If you know how to be saved... Will hold you back from it. Why aren't you saved tonight? If you know how to be, I I, I thought that I, I knew how to. It was just a matter of me picking the time. If you know how to be saved, go ahead. We'll give you ten minutes. Go ahead. You know it's only people who come to the point in life when they realize, you know what? I don't know how. I got, I got no chance. I got no hope. I'm lost. When I was nine years old, I chose the night. It was a night in July. Come home. We used to live on Payne Ave. I remember the room. And that night, I went to the side of the bed, got down, did my little blurb, and that was it. I was saved. I wouldn't have paid a nickel for that salvation now. That was it. And for years and years, I knew I didn't have anything. You know why? Because there was no life to prove it. There was no substance to it. There was no interest in any of this stuff. You say, well, that happens. It does. I knew I wasn't saved. I knew I didn't have it. I was so afraid of telling people. You know what it means to tell people that you're lost? You ever told anybody that? Think you could tell your parents or tell me or tell someone, you know what? I can't do anything. I'm helpless. You know what it means to tell another individual that? You ever done it? You ever admitted to someone, you know what, when it comes to salvation, I have no idea what to do. 
No idea. All the Bible verses I've heard, all the Sunday school lessons I've been in, all the gospel meetings, I know, don't have a clue what to do. It was something I couldn't admit for years. And every November, people come and, and, and have meetings here. Remember Murray McCandless, my uncle. He come one time at John Procopio, and it must have been six or seven people got saved. And I remember seeing those people get saved and thinking, you know, that, that could have been me. And it just, it was, it was too much to tell people. Can you imagine? They all thought I had it. I was good. It didn't matter. I, I was off the radar. I was probably not even being prayed for anymore because I had it. To tell them now that I did it, what a disappointment. What a discouragement to tell them that I was lost. And so year and year went by. It was aggravating. It, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was depressing sometimes. Imagine, I used to get down on my knees sometimes at night and pray. I don't know why, but I would pray. You know, I'd pray for family and that, and Lord, you know, the end of the prayer would always end like this. Pray that you might, you might save my soul. And I'd go to bed. That would be it. That's how I lived for many years. Until I was about 15. In 1998, Gene Higgins from New Jersey, and a man named David Oliver from Pennsylvania come here to have meetings in this hall. And they preach every night, and I still remember the night. It was approaching towards Thanksgiving. Maybe it was the week before. You know how Thanksgiving here in America is in November in the U.S. A little different from the Canadian one. And I still remember in my room, I remember my father had his little office down in our downstairs basement. Um, and uh, he would do some work at night, and I had my little room down there. And uh, I still remember him coming by my door at night. And at that point, the concern had kind of had gone to a point where I just needed to get that burden off my chest. Just to be able to tell your parent or someone that, you know what? I don't have salvation. I remember I was expecting, you know, you, you know if you ever told your father. I remember the first time I told him I got in a car accident. It was bad news. You know, just got a little angry at me. But he was surprisingly gracious. He said, you know, that's, that's a good thing to figure out, he said. He told me about some other people who also found out in their life that, you know what, they didn't have anything. And it was so important because realizing you have nothing is the only way you'll ever be saved. Realizing that there, you don't know what to do is the only way God will ever save your soul. I remember telling them that I really wanted to speak to the preachers. I really wanted to talk to them. Something I just... I thought that was the key to salvation. Not only that, but I thought this room had like a special aura about it. If you spoke to them in this back room, 99% guaranteed. You know, there was a couple people come out of there that didn't have it, but for the most part, you went in, you come out. You know, a new person. You know? So I thought that's it. That's that's what I was missing. I I knew I didn't have salvation, but I was still looking at it the same way I used to. That there was going to be something that I was going to say, something I was going to feel, maybe I would shed a couple tears, and I would have salvation. You think like that? Are you still thinking about what you're going to do? How you're going to feel? You think it'll feel good? You think it'll feel bad? You know, if you ever stop thinking about how you're going to feel, and maybe you start thinking about what someone else did, just take that letter I completely out of it. You know, salvation, people have been saved without even saying words. So it's not a matter of what kind of words you're going to put together tonight. I remember speaking to Mr. Higgins in the back room there. 
And he was, he was quoting things. He was saying, Dave, do you believe that Christ died on the cross? Yeah. And I was hoping, as I had never hoped before, that after he would say something, that I would repeat a line, and that's when he would get up, maybe clap his hands, or maybe his eyes would brighten up, and he would tell me, that's it. You got it. And he said about four or five comments that night. Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe that you're a sinner? And he went on, and I agreed, of course. And just hoping that at the next statement, when I said, yes, yes, I believe that, that he was going to go, that's it. You have it. You're saved. What would it take for you to repeat? Or if I ask you to repeat a couple things tonight, you think that would save your soul? Some people think that. I wouldn't pay a nickel for their salvation either. We left that room, 45 minutes or so, I was the first guy to walk out of the room not saved, you know. At that point, they had gone five for five, you know. I was the one missing, five for six. We walked to the back of the hall. It was a little different back then. Chairs were different. Carpet was different, I think. Um, And I remember walking out with him, and he he opened that verse there, Isaiah 53 and 5. He said, Dave, he he goes, it's important to realize that that word have. He goes, it's not talking about today. It's not talking about tomorrow. Because it's it's talking about something that already happened. You know, when you say, I went to school today. That could mean, well, today or yesterday. But there's sometimes when you say something, and it means it was in the past. I used to have that car. You know, I used to have, I don't know, a different pair of shoes. There's something in the past. He said, that word, hath, hath laid on him. It's something that already happened. Something that already took place. It was, it was years ago. And then he gave me a tract. We still have the tract. I still have the original tract that I was saved by at my house. The tract is titled, God is Satisfied. God? Just think about those words. The title is enough to save you. God is satisfied. I always read the first part of the track, and I'm sure that 99% of the audience would agree with me on this. I never read the end, because the end was always the same. It was like a, it was like a movie, and somehow they all got together, and they all picked the same ending, but everyone had a different plot line, you know? And I always read the first part of the track, and when I got to the end, it was just, you know, I knew what to expect. I could almost write my own end of the track. I had read so many. That track was a little different. And it gave the most simplistic example. I don't even know if it's a real story, or if it really happened, but I still use it to this day. It said, if you owed someone money, say you owed them five bucks. I think that's how old the track was. They considered five dollars a lot of money. Five dollars. It was, it was an old track. If you owe someone five, ten, twenty dollars, and I come to you and showed you a receipt, I said, here's the receipt. I paid it. What would it take for you to know that you didn't owe the money anymore? What would you have to believe? Would you have to cry? But, you know, the track didn't say this. I'm adding to it a little bit. But the track said, you know what? If you see the receipt, you know it was paid. You know you don't owe money anymore because the receipt says, paid. It says there was so much owed, someone paid it. Nothing left to pay. 
And on November 22nd, 1998, at a quarter past ten, I, I just believe this receipt. That's it. No lightning from heaven. No names written in the sky. No fuzzy feelings in my stomach. Nothing. I believed what this receipt said when it told me that Christ died for my sins. I have nothing else. I'll tell you this. That night, God saved my soul. It had nothing to do with me. I put my trust in this receipt and God saved my soul. And there are people who doubt and people who are never really sure about things. And there is, there is a serious sympathy for people like that. There, that is something that happens. I, I can tell you in my own life that I haven't been sure of too much. I've been indecisive in a lot of things. Even this year, I was trying to buy a car. I couldn't do it. Can't make the decision. And I've been, uh, you know, nine out of ten times, I really doubt my decision when I make it, maybe during the week or at work. But I can say this tonight, and I can say it with, this is not exaggeration. I'm more sure of heaven than I am of my next breath. There's no exaggeration. Because I'm more sure of what God has said in His Word than I am of my ability to breathe. He has said that He gave His Son to die for your sins. You believe it. And that alone... And you're saved. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. If you have that, you have salvation. If you have anything else, there's no hope. Believe what God has said in this receipt tonight. It's been paid in full. When Christ died on the cross for sinners. I've been saved and I've been sure of heaven for 10, 15 years now. No one can take it away from me. No one can tell me any differently, no matter what happens. And you know what? It doesn't matter what other people think about it. I, I didn't left this out tonight, but when I didn't have anything, I once told my uncle that, uh, you know, he asked me how I got saved, and I told him, and he, he oh, it was great, you know, it was wonderful. It doesn't matter what other people think about what you have. If I told you that you had something great, it wouldn't matter. You know, at, at the end of the day, or at the end of your life, the only thing that matters is that what is satisfying you has satisfied God. And God has only ever been satisfied in one thing. And that was when His Son gave His life at Calvary. So put your trust in that. You could be saved in the very seat you sit in before this meeting would even be over. Pray that it might be so.